show more than you can chew i'm your host tiffany moore what the fuck is going on that's not a rhetorical question what the fuck is going on all right if you can i want you to find a space where you can really relax right now while I read you the next chapter of I Might might Regret This. I'm gonna light a candle here. I want you to find a place where you can really relax and zone out for a little bit. We're gonna try to make some space in all of this darkness, all of this heaviness. We're just going to do quick, quickly three deep breaths, the three deepest breaths you've taken all day. If you can, if you're in a space where you can close your eyes, close your eyes. Put your hand over your heart space. And we're going to take a big inhale, the biggest inhale you've taken all day. Ready? One, two, three, inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. One more. Deepest breath you've taken all day. Inhale. Let it go. Notice how you feel. All right. I think we're on chapter two. I might regret this. Hold on, I'm gonna need some water here. All right. 
Heartbreak City. I had never been in love before. I'd gotten to a certain point in my adult life where I felt that maybe I wasn't cut out for it. For this thing, this phenomenon that seemed to happen to everyone else. This monster that overtook my friends, my co-workers, random people on the subway, and swallowed them whole. I started to think my heart might be made of solid rock, impenetrable. I'd probably be written about later in life, a modern-day mystery, the woman who never fell in love. It would be my comeback. I'd stop doing laser hair removal and make it really interesting. I imagined a cross-country tour. Meet the loveless lady. It would be just a few weeks, though, as that type of thing can be pretty draining, especially if in your 70s. I'd deal with logistics with lo when the time came. There was an underlying sense of loss within my body for an experience I knew was essential to being alive. I was sad, but I shoved it away, pushed it under the day job. The random hookups, the comedy, something was absent. I knew this from my extensive study of love stories, first and foremost, the rom-com. I love a solid rom-com. In fact, I have a hard time continuing my day after catching a glimpse of a Nora Ephron or Nancy Myers film. A frame, a soundbite, the mere mention of one can hold me up. Entire flights where I needed to work have been sidetracked, calls canceled, important meetings have been delayed. I cry at the end of these films, when the two main characters finally get together. We knew they would. I'm a sucker for a good love story, a faded romance, Basically anyone going out on any limb to declare anything. I have Spotify playlists completely devoted to love songs, ones I check periodically to make sure I haven't accidentally made them public. I have lived vicariously through these films, these songs, through the pain and heartache, the triumphs and the voice cracks. I was right there with them. But there's a difference between intellectually understanding love from a distance and being inside of it. I couldn't pinpoint exactly what was wrong with me, what was off, why I wasn't able to connect on that level with another person. This connection seemed to come with great ease to everyone else. I felt disabled and ashamed. I thought if my skin were pulled back, I'd be revealed to be the robot I was, unable to fully grasp the human beings around me. Don't get me wrong, I've been infatuated, had crushes, slept with, fucked, and dated many people in my life. But it always faded. I didn't and don't like wasting time with someone I know isn't for me. So nothing ever really lasted long. I'd end things swiftly, not engage fully. I've really liked a lot of people, even loved some, but I wasn't in love. Hadn't found someone I really craved being with. Anyone I saw as the other half of my team. I never felt a sense of togetherness, never that yearning to dive deeper. This was just how it was going to be, and I was starting to be okay with it. A few years ago, one of my best friends said to me, nonchalantly, I can't imagine you with anyone. You're so set in your ways. She didn't mean it to be harsh, but it was. I took her words about me in like a fugitive, like a fugitive whose story you believe, but maybe no one else does yet. So you take them into your home, shove them in your closet with a water heater while the police search your block. Not like a killer, 
like a wrongfully accused fugitive that wasn't dangerous or anything, you know what I mean? Anyway, I fed this thought, talked to it as I went to bed, lived with it for years. If one of my best friends, one of the people closest to me, honestly felt that she could never see me with anyone, maybe it was true. My friend was right. I couldn't imagine me with anyone either. I was set in my ways. I didn't know how else to be. I stopped hiding the secret, innocent, fugitive of an idea and embraced it. I brought it up out of the basement and started making coffee with it in the mornings, going on walks with it in the afternoons. Maybe things would be fine like this. I'd set myself up. I shall need no one. I'd get huge, thick eyeglasses and an electric sense of style. I'd have a routine and stick to it. Plenty of people live like this, and I'd be another stunning single woman living on top of it. My old age, with nothing to care about but herself? Wonderful. My mind would spin out in other directions, shitty and somber directions. I pictured myself like the James Earl Jones character in The Sandlot, whispered about and feared, a mystery to the children in the neighborhood. I'd been getting more involved in voiceover work. This was me. I was him, case closed. And then, on a night like any other, I saw someone across the room at a party. It was someone I'd seen before, someone I already knew, but it was different. In one glance, I saw her anew. I'd only dated men up until this point. I was and still am attracted to guys and always felt a natural inclination toward them. And it wasn't until art school that I ever thought about being with a woman because that was the first time I was around outly queer people. I felt open and figured if I ever met a woman I was interested in, I'd see what happened. But I didn't really put that much time into it. And I never felt that pang of desire. So I stuck with men. Looking back, I wish I had explored myself more thoroughly and found the beautiful parts of who I am that are attracted to the person, not the gender. I wish I'd questioned myself and the world I'd grown up in more. Every time I think I finally got it, finally figured myself out, I find there's more to unearth. I've never been someone who fantasized about having the perfect wedding. I've never planned out any bridal party or imagined what my honeymoon might be like. And I still, I still berate myself when I don't immediately, uncontrollably fawn over friends' engagement rings. I'm sorry, it is gorgeous. I just forget to look at certain fingers for jewelry. Those events and details aren't something I ever envisioned for myself as a kid. They weren't ever at the top of my to-do list. I was busy following my brother around, playing catch until it got dark out. I was preoccupied daydreaming about being on SNL or having a one-woman one show on Broadway like Guild Alive. I was so caught up in dealing with what I might do who I might grow up to be. I didn't even get into who I'd be with. I just assumed I would get married. I assumed I'd eventually marry an amazing guy who is funny, down to earth, creative, and successful. And then me and this handsome yet approachable guy would have kids. I just assumed that would play out. And so I pushed it into the future for whenever those cards might unfold. That assumption, that norm was just there in my mind and body for as long as I can remember. It's all I saw in my life, on TV, in movies, in school, everywhere I went. It's what you did. 
and how you eventually ended up. This ingrained idea of one day having a heteronormative family wasn't something I was ever disgusted or hindered by, but rather a neutral and known fact as clear as me growing up and getting a job. Even in my adult life, after I lived, moved to New York, getting married to a man and having kids was still just there, sitting somewhere in the distance waiting for me to arrive after I found some success. But I'd started to move away further from that story, not sure anymore if it was a place where I was headed. I liked being casual in relationships, and the single recluse in me began to make herself comfortable. But I was distraught and insecure about my lack of connection in my love life. And the balance between my work and personal satisfaction was so uneven, it wasn't worth comparing. I felt helpless. I had to be more proactive. I had to do something to try and tip the balance the other way. So on my 30th birthday, after a few drinks, I made a decision quietly and internally. Hang on. Get some water here. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is refreshing. Okay. I made a decision quietly and internally from there on out. If I thought a dude was interesting or attractive, I was going to boldly ask him out. My first success was that very night at a bar I'd invited friends to in Brooklyn. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. I'd always thought my friend Dan was cute. So I walked up to him and said casually, I think you're adorable. Let me know if you'd ever want to get a drink. No pressure. It worked. He said yes. What a fucking badass. This is still my go-to line, by the way, and it usually works. Confidence is powerful and enlivening. I wasn't going to wait for guys to ask me out, to sweep me off my feet, because I knew that wasn't going to happen. I'd go out and I'd do it for myself. I had solved the helpless problem by taking matters into my own hands, but I still hadn't found connection. So there I was, two years later, at a friend's birthday party, mid-conversation with a sweet, cute guy I'd just met. I'd smile and nod at him, laughing with him as, at his jokes. I'd slip in the occasional, totally, but I have no idea what he was talking about, what we were laughing at, or what I was saying, totally, in response to because I found myself staring across the room, only seeing her. My mind shifted, an aha moment, as my future best friend Oprah would say. The party ended and I went up to my hotel room. I remember sitting on the bed, trying to suss out the situation. I was clearly into her. I couldn't stop thinking about her. If she were a guy, there'd be no question what I would do. The only reason I wasn't asking her out was because she's a she. That seemed idiotic to limit my heart based on gender. Maybe the things I always assumed would and should happen in my life were off, written by someone else. Maybe I should start over now. So I texted her. And then all the good parts happened. All the calls, all the texts, the FaceTimes, the anticipation, all the uncontrollable smiles, the pings in my stomach, all the surprises, all the deep breaths, all the firsts, all the sweeping gestures, the tiny touches, the ease, the connection, the excitement, the laughter, all the plane tickets, the doors opening, the goodbyes, the notes left behind, all the hotel rooms and the playlists, the songs that made me think of her, 
the sharing of days, of frustrations, of fears, all the, vulnerabil all the vulnerability I wasn't aware of, all the support and encouragement I didn't know I needed, the support and encouragement I didn't know I could provide, all the ways in which I wanted her to be proud to be with me, which turned into me being proud of myself, all the silence in the middle, all the hope, full of hope, all the mornings in the light, all the waiting for the coffee to finish and learning about the coffee, all the late nights and the laughter, all the tucking of hair behind her ears, the singing along to terrible songs in the car, the stupid dancing, and more laughter, all the time she smiled, all the time she smiled when she was looking at me, all the best things. There were other things in there, of course, the trickier things, the confusion, the disagreements, the lack of, the need for space and yearning for togetherness, the distance, the feeling like I wasn't good enough, the fear, all those things and all the other things I can't even try to write about, all of the things that make love impossible to explain, all the things I didn't understand before, it's all there, the bad inside the good, and then it was abruptly over. In the beginning of our relationship, right when we had started talking, me and her, I was alone and fainted in my apartment, smashing my face on the kitchen counter. My nose will never be the same, by the way. I had taken a red eye back from LA the night before and was dehydrated or overworked. I still don't know exactly what happened, but right before I fell, as I was desperately trying to consume something, searching my fridge for anything to raise my blood <coughs> sugar. Sorry, I don't know why I'm so burpy tonight. I got this feeling throughout the, my whole body, this knowing sensation that I was no longer in control. I was a goner. I felt that two more times since I ruined my beautiful nose. A few weeks later, she was staying at a hotel in New York and we had gone to see a show. It was so early in us hanging out that she, we hadn't really told anyone else, except our close friends, like you do. I remember pretending to leave, hugging her goodbye in the lobby of the hotel and walking outside with our friend we'd been having drinks with. I even scrolled my phone, feigning to call an Uber, explaining that it was taking forever. It's moments like this when I think to myself, you know what? You are an exceptional actor. It's never when I'm actually on set or at a table read, but rather when I'm blatantly lying to friends or acquaintances about something mundane. I sold that shit. This friend definitely thought my Uber was circling because I was delivering quite the monologue about Ubers circling. I'm not gonna write it all out because it really was, because it was really more about the delivery, but it was Oscar worthy. Actually, maybe just Globes worthy. And my object work with the phone? Incredible. At least deserves a nomination. This friend finally decided to walk home, probably due to my play-by-play -play of Uber logistics, but I was free. When the coast was clear, I turned back and went to the hotel and took the elevator up to her room. I knocked on the door, smirking at my little play downstairs. The door opened and she pulled me inside. The ruse was over. We could be us again. She hugged me so tightly, held me there, and squeezed, like she might never let me go. I fell, 
completely out of control in love with this person right then and there in that hug, in that hotel room. I was a goner. And then later to the it being over thing, being out of control in love is glorious. It's the feeling I wish for everyone, the unleashing of joy, the dual skydive of glee into this unknown world of possibility. It's the closest thing we have to magic, but being out of control in heartbreak, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. It's unnerving, it's manic, it's hopeless. It's the most terrifying thing in the world for the person you love, who loves you back, to suddenly stop, to disappear, and not want to be in your life anymore. What do you do with that? I realized in the thick of this heartbreak that it wasn't only that I'd never felt this way about someone else, but no one had ever felt this way about me. I had never let anyone in this far, had never brought anyone home for the holidays before, had never let anyone fully see me, but I did with her. Oh boy, was I a goner. I felt simultaneously like Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind, trying to connect the pieces of some unsolved math equation, and like Nell, isolated in a little cabin in my head, smack in the middle of the world, as it always was. So I did what any intelligent, responsible, same person would do. I got a dog for a week. I am an actual monster and should be put on garbage island to live out the rest of my days floating in the middle of the ocean, building shelter from plastic bottles. That's next, right? I should add that I took extremely good care of this puppy for the week she was mine. I wish I had simply fostered her, but the manic state I was in demanded wild, sweeping gestures, so I adopted her from a rescue. I took her to the vet and got all of her medications. She wasn't used to a leash, but we were really making some progress in the house training department. I got her set up with a trainer, had a dog walker, and about every toy, bed, crate, and treat you could ever get a dog. When I knew I had to give her up, I brought her back to the foster mom I had gotten her from and made sure she was safe and sound with a carload of new belongings. She is happy and healthy. I promise she is happy and healthy. And I'm very certain I made the right decision. But I sometimes scroll through the photos from that week of me with this puppy. And I know I still belong on Garbage Island. Even thinking about it now makes my stomach hurt. You know when you do something big and in that moment you're like, I'm fine and this is right. Making this big change is appropriate and I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm in control of my life and my actions and this is the thing for me. I'm an adult for crying out loud. It was so clear, so ridiculously transparent, like all the biggest, boldest things are. I was trying desperately to move all of my love that was now floating up in the clouds somewhere clearly still don't understand the cloud, to this dog, to fill my heart with this little puppy. I wanted so badly to have something, someone of my own to take care of, to let me take care of them. And it did not work. It wasn't like something just kind of not working. It was like having the adverse reaction to a sleeping medication, where instead of sleeping, you're anxious, jittery, and very much awake, not sleeping at all. You might as well have taken the medication in the first, you might, you might as well have not taken the medication in the first place. Side note, this is what happens to me every single time I try to take a different sleeping medication. 
I should really stop. But this dog, this adorable, perfect puppy, brought out a version of myself I had never been. Each cuddle sucked sadness out of my pores. My apartment became cramped, dark, tight with rage, with tears and despair. The cutest eight pounds in the world made me fall apart anew. It was like a tipping point for me, crying-wise. You know that Malcolm Gladwell thing, the 10,000 hours rule, about how to be an expert at something you have to be practiced or worked at for 10,000 hours? This dog in this week of crying was where I officially crossed over into being an actual depressed person, an expert crier. I'm here to say, and possibly toot my own horn, that it didn't take me the entire 10,000 hours. But I was indeed a professional tear maker. I was just that good. I'm a true outlier of tipping points. Everyone around me at the time could see that getting a dog was a terrible idea, catastrophic. But you can't tell people that. You have to let them live those mistakes. Did I mention I got her in the middle of shooting season four of Broad City? Maybe I delayed, delayed that reveal because it makes my decision even more idiotic and obvious. The shooting schedule of a television show is insane and unpredictable. Sometimes we shoot all night from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. and sleep all day. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. Sometimes we're shooting a scene that's supposed to be in the dead of winter in the middle of summer. And sometimes we're stuck in a seven foot hole in the middle of a cemetery for eight hours. Shit is nuts. You have to be on the balls of your feet ready for anything. Behind the scenes, there's a never-ending barrage of questions that need to be answered and possible outcomes that can never be anticipated. It's the type of thing Red Bull was created for. Personally, it becomes a selfish time. I hardly see friends or family, and weekends are usually used to catch up on sleep. While awake, most activities consist of finding new and unique places to sit. But I went ahead, and I got this dog right in the middle of the chaos. I could only operate normally when I was in work mode. If there was too long a break in between shots or meetings, I'd either veer into a zombie-like daze or almost break down. I remember a scene when we shot the stage one night. It was built out of a closet in Alana's new workplace, a restaurant called Sushi Mambo. While we were scouting out the location, a real restaurant in Williamsburg, we realized there wasn't a closet big enough for a few scenes we'd written, so we had to build a closet on the stage. In the scene, Alana is suffering from depression. Couldn't be more ironic for me at that time. And has been using a sad seasonal affective disorder lamp to try and feel better throughout her shift. I remember waiting on the other side of the fake closet door while the crew finished setting up. There was some change in the shot and they were taking longer than usual to swap out a lens or get the lights just right. I was on the other side of that door by myself for too long. I'd slipped into the underbelly. I kept thinking of my new puppy downstairs in the room where I got changed. I felt so lost, so incredibly low and numb, wishing some sort of sad lamp would actually work for this. I felt a heaviness in my whole body, felt tears seep into the corners of my eyes and tried to push them away frantically. There were 40 people on the other side of that wall specifically about to watch my face. Stop. Stop. Stop thinking. Stop. I yelled at myself in my head. And just as I was about to completely lose it, 
have to apologize to whoever and create an improvised, improvised lie about having something in my eye since lunch. The assistant director yelled, action! And without a second thought, I reached for the doorknob, rushed to the scene and character, freaking out about my mom asking me how many people I've slept with. I will never forget that night and that week, how the show seems to always have saved me and forced me forward, how I've never been so raw, so out on a ledge before this time, how a beautiful tiny little creature made me realize I was the one that needed taken care of. I had never felt so untethered. Beside the dog week and its own turmoil, navigating my confusion and heartache felt like it was a never-ending roller coaster ride where everything related back to that. All the love songs, all the films, the poems made sense now in a totally different way. Get out of here, Efron. These people don't end up together. No one does. Adele, I got it. Enough. How could we all just be carrying on like this? I started looking at people differently. Are they heartbroken too? Is that guy across from me on the subway also about to cry? I must be strong for him. If I cry, he'll break down and that wouldn't do either of us any good. I had to find ways to distract myself from thinking about it, from replaying scenes from the relationship. I needed something to occupy my brain entirely and Broad City for me was perfect. But at night, I was a complete and utter shit show. We're always performing to the world, but when we get home and close the door to our apartments or our bedrooms at night, the pain comes flooding back. So we have to distract ourselves again, right? TV, movies, the internet. I tried to fill my head by reading or watching or listening to stuff. I watched shows, documentaries, old movies. I listened to albums I hadn't listened to from start to finish, caught up on podcasts I'd been recommended. I read novels and nonfiction, short stories, essays, and poetry. I even read a book about couples counseling, which made me feel terrible about not being in a couple, but it's also something I quote almost constantly. It's called Getting the Love You Want, and I'm proud of myself for no longer being ashamed to tell anyone I read that book. I did order it on Amazon so no one would see me buying it in person. I have some self-respect. I couldn't sleep and that amplified everything. It was like an alternate version of myself was let loose in my apartment each night, an angry person, a sad, lonely person. I was almost like Teen Wolf, but instead of when the moon comes out and I turn into a wolf, I turn into a wildly depressed person and also be a 33-year-old woman instead of a teen boy. But my skin still looks like a teen, and I too love a good bomber jacket. It was exhausting, just as I imagine being Teen Wolf was exhausting. I'm going to be honest here and say that I don't think I've actually seen Teen Wolf, but I can gather the basic gist. Hiding something you're going through is intense and draining, but I just couldn't even deal with dealing with it, you know? I would at some point, but these nights were like the fever you have to sweat out until it breaks and you're okay again. I feel like I should watch Teen Wolf. The end of the production was in sight. The process of editing is about two months and begins right after we're finished shooting. The edit is invigorating, challenging, and like a puzzle filled with time and budget constraints. Sound design and visual effects come into play here and rejuvenate the whole show. It's where you see it all, all unfold. It's also a less stressful time schedule-wise, as our main concern is getting what we've gotten into to be exactly what we want. 
I was feeling a little bit more myself by the spring, but felt an underlying sense of anxiety. I was scattered and still just plain old sad. I'm an introvert by nature, but this was more than that. The nights were longer, leaving me more time to not sleep. We weren't talking anymore at this point, me and her, and that distance and silence wasn't providing me any closure or relief. I started stressing about being finished editing. Then what? I'd have time to only think about this. I'd be able to fully process where I'm at and how I've grown and how I really feel. What am I, crazy? I needed to leave and get as far away from my normal existence as I could as soon as possible. As a certifiable workaholic, I knew the only way I would be able to get away and process this transformative relationship and the frustration I was still carrying around was if I created a project. So I made a plan. We were scheduled to finish editing on the last day in June, Friday the 30th, and from then on, I had three weeks until I needed to be on the West Coast. I would leave here Sunday, July 2nd, at the butt crack of dawn and drive across the country to Los Angeles, alone. That was what I would do. When my main distraction was set to end, I'd skip town and cook up another. The type of situation was exactly where horizons were there for, to drive right into. I had a driver's license that didn't expire for years, and I was going to use it. I didn't have any real goal besides finding time and space in which to be still and think. My vision of myself as an elderly, stylish, yet effortless Boo Radley had been tested. I was capable of love. Hooray! Now what? I'd entered the world of pain and vulnerability and all the bullshit that comes along with it. I thought I'd been found, been discovered by someone been wanted for exactly who I was, and now I felt like I might be a completely different person than I myself needed to find. I knew the past year had cracked me open and changed my assumptions of what my life could be. I wanted to create time to specifically think about that, to dive into the deep end, as they say, in all the ways. I was a workaholic and didn't exactly know why. I had never fallen in love, and then I did. I had never been heartbroken, and now I was. I had never dated a woman before, and now I was dating women. For once, I wanted to put as much time into myself as I put into my work. So I did. All right, that's going to wrap up chapter two. Um, hope you guys enjoyed are enjoying the story so far these aren't really chapters but i think that's just how i'm going to break up the episodes and um yeah so hope that gave you guys a little bit of a reprieve in the madness even just you know for this little time that we have and take care of yourself and each other and i'll talk to you soon